الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger Bi'izni Allah ta'ala we would like to begin this evening with the first chapter of the book under study in our Islamic creed course number 4 Kitab At-Tawheed by Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab Al-Sulaiman Al-Tamimi Al-Najdi rahimahullah and as we mentioned in the introductory lecture last week the topic of this book kitab at-tawhid it is the aspect of tawhid related to worship and we said last week that at-tawhid it is to single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those things that are exclusive to him alone whether it be his lordship ar-rububiyyah over the heavens and the earth that he is the only creator and provider and the one who sustains and maintains and manages all of the affairs in the universe or whether it be related to his names and characteristics or qualities the tawhid of al-asma wa sifat which means that we declare and acknowledge that Allah alone has the exclusive right to these names of perfection and qualities or characteristics of perfection and no one shares with him in them or the tawhid of al-ubudiyah tawhid al-ibadah which deals with the fact that we acknowledge and declare that Allah alone has the exclusive right to all types of worship that worship can only be given to Allah alone we said last week that tawhid has three characteristics or three divisions or three types and we mentioned them and discussed it in some detail along with some discussion concerning the book kitab at-tawhid and the author of the book the translations of the book and the explanations of it a number of explanations for this book kitab at-tawhid and we said that we will be using inshallah or primarily we will be using the translation of the explanation of kitab at-tawhid uh, that has been published by the international islamic publishing house this book um it is based upon an explanation of kitab at-tawhid entitled al-jadid fi sharh kitab at-tawhid and this book al-jadid fi sharh kitab at-tawhid by sheikh muhammad ibn abdul aziz al-qara'awi is the book that inshallah we will read from primarily and this is a translation basically of the book except that it is not complete but the essential parts of the book have been translated and we will try to follow it so that you will have notes by using this book it will yani reduce the amount of work that you have to do in order to keep up with us however we will be using other books also 
So it will be the primary book that we will use. And likewise, there's another book which is a translation of the text of Kitab al-Tawheed. This one published by Maktab al-Dar al-Salam. And uh, this book is also very, very useful as a comparison of the translation. And also because at the end of every chapter, there's a listing of the important issues that are contained in each chapter. And that listing of the issues, the Masail, is not contained in the same format in this book. It is not contained in the same format. Therefore, it is useful if anyone is able to get both of these books, then it will be helpful. Uh, and we will try to, as I said, provide these books along with the biography of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab. Uh, we will try to provide them for those who would like to purchase them at a discount price. Also, let me remind you that the questions at the end of the handout, uh, those questions, it is recommended, highly recommended and encouraged that they should be answered, not only verbally or orally, but they should be written out as some of the brothers have done. They have written out the answers to these questions and the benefit of this is to encourage you to follow the lecture and to follow the information and make sure that you understand it by answering the questions. The one who is not able to answer the questions should in the following lecture ask questions. They should ask about that which is not clear to them so that we don't go on from chapter to chapter without you understanding what we have covered. Uh, also there will be examination from time to time, and that examination will directly be based upon the questions that are in the handout. So you should pay attention to those questions and try to answer them from week to week so that it doesn't pile up on you at the end. The Shaykh Al-Imam Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahhab Rahimahullah begins his book with the name of Allah, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, and in some of the copies of the book, he also opened with a dua Rabbi Yassir Wa'anin Ya Kareem O Allah make easy make it easy and help us or assist O the one who is generous and bountiful Ya Kareem then he begins Kitab At-Tawheed and this first section of the book has been treated as an introduction in some copies and in other copies it has been numbered as the first chapter. In the translation of Maktab al-Dar al-Salam it has been mentioned as an introduction and the following chapter has been numbered number one and in the sharh or explanation here it has not been counted as a chapter nor has the chapter following it been counted as a chapter but the first chapter in this book is in fact the second or third chapter. And if we count the introduction, it will be the third chapter. If we don't count the introduction, it will be the second chapter. So you should pay attention to this, that the numbering in the books are slightly different. All the material is basically the same. And there are some other problems with the translation that we will discuss as we go along. So he begins by mentioning the proofs and the evidences which show the importance of a tawheed and then uh, the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, which support the issue and then he mentions those important matters which may be derived from the proofs and evidences which he has mentioned here. The first dalil or evidence which he mentions is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Zariyat chapter 51 verse 56 وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنْسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنْسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I have not created the jinn and the men except to worship me. لِيَعْبُدُونَ And many of the scholars of tafsir said the meaning of لِيَعْبُدُونَ It means لِيُوَحِّدُونَ يعني to worship Allah it means to worship Him alone. To worship Him alone with Tawheed. The meaning of worshipping Allah, it means with Tawheed. Because whoever worships Allah while associating something along with Him or worshipping something else in addition to Him, 
without tawheed, then it's not considered as worship. Allah doesn't accept the worship of anyone who worships someone or something else along with him. So the meaning of al-ibadah here, it means tawheed. Liya'budun, it means liyuwahidun. I have not created the jinn and men except to worship me. Then he said the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنَعْبُدَ اللَّهِ وَاجْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ And we have sent or missioned or sent forth in every nation, in every community, to every people a messenger who called those people saying, أَعْبُدُ اللَّهِ وَاجْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ Worship Allah alone and avoid worshipping al-taghut yani anything besides Allah and al-taghut has been defined by the scholars in various different ways perhaps the best definition is that which any person goes beyond the bounds beyond the bounds in doing something whether it is worship worshipping something or obeying someone or following someone going beyond the bounds transgressing the limits in following someone in obeying someone or in worshipping anything other than Allah. All of this is the Taghut and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent every messenger that he sent to every nation ordering the people to worship him alone and to avoid worshipping the Taghut. And some of the scholars even said that the Taghut are many from amongst them is Iblis, the chief of the Shayateen, and from amongst them are those who call others to worship themselves. Or those who are worshipped by others, even though they didn't call anyone to worship them, but they are pleased with their being worshipped, and so on. Then he mentions, and this verse is from uh, Surah An-Nahl, chapter 16, verse 36. And then he mentions briefly a lengthy quotation from the Quran, but he only mentions it in brief here. Uh, pointing to it in Surah Al-Isra, chapter 17, verse 23. وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered or commanded, your Lord has commanded that you, not, you should not worship anything except Him. That you should worship Him alone. And that you should be kind or good, or dutiful to your parents. And then he mentions the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Surah Al-An'am, chapter 6, verses 151 through 153, but he only mentions the beginning of the verse here. Say, come, your Lord has prohibited or made forbidden to you Allah tushriku bihi shay'a that you shouldn't worship anything or associate anything with him. From amongst the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered or that which he has prohibited is that a person worship or associate anything with him in worship. Then he mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nisa Chapter 4, verse 36. وَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُ بِهِ شَيْئًا It is a command. Worship Allah and then a prohibition and do not associate with Him anything. Yani the command to worship Allah and then the prohibition of associating anything with Him in that worship. Not only are we ordered to worship Allah but we are also prohibited from associating anything or anyone with Allah in that worship but the worship should be exclusively for him alone and these verses all of them talk about a tawheed and shirk and this is the essential matter in the deen of Allah it is the basis of al-islam the foundation of a tawheed the command to worship Allah alone and to avoid a shirk worshiping anything along with him the most important thing in the life of a Muslim is establishing a tawheed in their lives and avoiding a shirk Tawheed is the key to salvation from punishment in the next life. And avoiding shirk is the key to avoiding Allah's punishment. Because shirk is the one thing that if a person dies on it, Allah would not forgive it. If they died without repenting from it, Allah doesn't forgive 
this shirk. If a person worships something along with him and they don't repent from it before their death. Then he mentions the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu in which it is reported that he said and this is a statement of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud it is not a statement of the Prophet therefore this should be classified as mawquf mawquf it is a saying of sahabi it is not a saying of the Prophet it is mawquf it is stopping at the sahabi it is a statement of one of the companions of the Prophet one of the great scholars of the Sahaba, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu, he said, Man arada an yanzura ila wasiyyatin Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, allati alayha khatamuhu, falyakra qawlahu ta'ala. That whoever desires or wants to see the wasiyyah, the last advice or the last will of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which his seal is upon it, Yani, meaning that it is something which is sealed, it is the end, there is no change in it, nothing can be added to it or taken from it, the last thing that he left with us, then read the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from Surah Al-An'am, these verses from 151 to 153, and he mentions the portion of it, Qul to the end of those verses, وَأَنَّ هَذَا صِرَاطِ مُسْتَقِيمًا فَاتَّبِعُوهُ وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا السُّبُلِ Say, come and let me recite what your Lord has forbidden to you that you should not associate anything with Him in worship and you should be kind to your parents to the end of those verses which He ends by saying and verily this is my way, my straight way As-Sirat Al-Mustaqeem Sirati Al-Mustaqeem It is my straight way Follow it Fattabi'uhu It is a command I order you to follow this way Wala tattabi'u As-Subul And don't follow the many other ways Divergent ways Those ways which are different than the one way That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent That is That which is based on At-Tawheed And that which is in accordance with the Sunnah Of the Messenger of Allah after this, after this statement of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, referring to these verses which need to be read in total, then Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah mentions the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu, also one of the greatest of the scholars of companions of the Prophet one of the most knowledgeable of scholars of the Prophet of the companions. Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu, he said, Kuntu radif an-nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala himarin. That I was riding behind the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on a donkey. He was riding with him on the same animal, behind him. Radif an-nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I was behind him, riding on a donkey. Faqala li, ya Mu'adh. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to me, O Mu'adh, atadri ma haqqu Allah ala al-ibad. وَمَا حَقُّ الْعِبَادِ عَلَى اللَّهِ He said, O Mu'adh, do you know what is the right of Allah upon His slaves, His servants, the creatures? And what is the right of the creatures upon Allah? He asked him a question. And as the scholars said in the explanations of Kitab al-Tawheed, that this type of question, it is used to make this information which is going to be imparted to be firm and to stick with the person. Asking the question, so that the person will reflect upon it and when they hear the answer, it will be firm and it will stick and stay with them. What is the right of Allah upon His servants? And what is the right of the servants upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He said, Qala, yani Mu'adh ibn Jabal qultu, he said, Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu, he said, Allah and His Messenger knows best. Yani he didn't know the answer or he wasn't sure of the answer and this is the way of the people of Sunnah. It was the way of the Prophet of Allah وسلم, and his companions and the scholars who followed in their way that when you don't know, you say Allah and his Messenger knows best. So Mu'adh anhu, he said, Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Then he said, that is the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, Allah ala al-ibad, wa la bihi 
that the right of Allah, the first and most important right of Allah upon his slaves is that they worship him and that they do not associate anything with him in that worship. The first right of Allah and the most important right of Allah upon us is that we worship him and that we don't associate anyone or anything as an equal or partner or sharing in those rights that belong to him alone. وَحَقَّ الْعِبَادَ عَلَى اللَّهِ أَن لَا And the right of the slaves, the people upon Allah is that they will not be punished. Allah will not punish them if they didn't worship anything besides him. If they didn't associate anything with him in worship, then they will not be punished. That is, as long as they have fulfilled the right of Allah upon them, not to make shirk, but to worship him alone, then they have a right that they will not be punished. They will not be punished in the hellfire as long as they didn't worship anything along with him. Then Mu'az radiallahu anhu being concerned about the Muslims, he said to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, أَفَلَاءُ بَشِّرُ nas Should I not give the good news to the people? Should I not go to the other companions? And tell them the good news that of what you have informed me. These two great things. What is the right of Allah upon us? And what is our right upon Him? Something that He didn't know. And He wants to tell the other people. Because this is the great thing. Whoever knows that they will not be punished in the hellfire as long as they don't make shirk. Then it is a great news. So He said, shall I not inform the other people of the good news? The Prophet said, لَا تُبَشِّرْهُمْ don't inform them, because perhaps if you inform them, they may rely upon this promise of Allah, that if they don't do shirk, they will be saved from the fire. And they might not hasten to do good deeds and yani, compete with one another in the worship of Allah and obedience to Allah. As long as they know that as long as we don't do shirk, we are freed from the fire, maybe people will depend on that and they will not compete and strive as they are already doing, because they fear that perhaps we will be punished. So they are striving to worship Allah. So the Prophet said, don't tell them, don't inform them, perhaps they might rely on this. This hadith has been recorded in Sahihain. Akhrajahu fi Sahihain. That is, in the Sahih of Al-Bukhari and the Sahih of Muslim. Then, Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah, mentions at the end of this chapter, and the discussion of what has been mentioned here is very lengthy. And the points that may be derived from it are many. And he has mentioned here a number of points. Every one of these points require a lengthy discussion. But of course it is our intention only to mention in brief or in passing some of these points at least we will be aware of it. From amongst the issues related to what has been discussed in these verses in hadith, from the first of them he says, number one, Al-Hikmatu fi khalq al-jinn wal-ins. What is the wisdom or the purpose for which the men and jinn have been created. From these verses we know that the hikmah or the wisdom or the purpose for which men and jinn have been created, it is to worship Allah. This is the reason for our existence. From these verses we came to know this. Likewise, أَنَّ الْعِبَادَةِ هِيَ التَّوْحِيدِ لِأَنَّ الْخُصُومَ فِيهِ That al-ibadah, it is actually a tawheed. There is no ibadah without tawheed. Al-ibadah, it is really tawheed. Because whoever does any act of ibadah, any act of worship, but they don't do it with tawheed, then it will never be accepted from Allah. So in fact, al-ibadah, it is tawheed. It is this tawheed of ibadah, tawheed al-uluhiyah, ubudiyah. It is this tawheed, this aspect of tawheed, of giving all worship to Allah alone, and not associating anyone or anything with Him in His right to be worshipped alone. It is this matter about which there was the khusuma, or the disagreement, or the arguing, the dispute between the prophets and the people they were sent to. Even the pagans of Mecca, they didn't argue with the Prophet ﷺ about the fact that Allah is the creator of the heavens and the earth. They didn't dispute this. But what they disputed, it was about the right of Allah to be worshipped alone. They acknowledged that He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who gives life and death and all of these things. But when it came to worship, they, they want to give worship to Him and others along with Him. So this is the matter that every Prophet had to dispute with his people about the worship of Allah alone. This is the essential matter. Then he says, number three, that whoever doesn't manifest this tawheed, من لم يأتي به لم يعبد الله. That whoever doesn't bring tawheed, he has not worshipped Allah. 
no matter if you fast and pray and make pilgrimage every year, if you didn't make the worship exclusively for Allah alone, you haven't worshipped Allah at all, and Allah will never accept anything that is done for Him along with someone else being associated with Him. And this is the meaning of the saying of Allah, وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَابِدُونَ And you all, meaning the Muslims saying to the pagans Quraysh, and you all are not worshipping or will not worship that which I worship. They were worshipping, but they were worshipping Allah along with others. For this reason Allah told the Prophet ﷺ to say to them that you are not worshipping what I worship. Meaning you are not worshipping Allah exclusively and worshipping Allah alone. Number four, the hikmah, the wisdom in the sending of the messengers. What is the reason or the purpose of sending of the messengers? It is to call the people to worship Allah alone and to not worship anything along with Him. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, لَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا That we have sent to every nation. And what was they sent to do? That is, that the only thing they are sending, sent to the people to do is to call the people to worship Allah alone and to avoid worshipping other than Allah, worshipping the Taghut. This is the reason for the sending of prophets and messengers to call the people to worship Allah alone. Number five, he said that this message, that this risala of Tawheed, that it was sent to every nation, to every people. It was received by every people and no one was left out. And this is also from the same verse that certainly we have sent or missioned to every nation a prophet. And they call the people to worship Allah alone and to avoid a taghut. Next he said that the deen of the prophets, deen al-anbiya wahid, the deen, the religion of all the prophets was the same. It was one religion. Every prophet was sent with the same message. Worship Allah alone and avoid worshipping a taghut. Avoid worshipping anything besides Allah. This was the message of every prophet. Therefore, the deen of every prophet, it is the same. It is al-Islam. Next he said, number seven, al-mas'ala al-kabira. The big issue or the main issue of the utmost importance, it is worshipping the worship of Allah Ibadatullah la tahsul illa bil kufri bil taghut. That the worship of Allah it will not be achieved. It will not be achieved except that the person also has to deny and declare kufr in a taghut. It's not sufficient to say I believe in Allah alone and I worship Allah alone. But in addition to that, you also have to deny the taghut. You have to also deny everything other than Allah that might be worshipped or the people have gone beyond the bounds in giving them rights that belong to Allah alone. So it is required of a Muslim to affirm the worship for Allah alone, and at the same time to negate worship to other than Allah. And this is the meaning of the shahada, La ilaha illallah. La ilaha, that there is nothing that should be worshipped, illallah except Allah. Negation of worship to everything other than Allah, and affirmation of the worship for Allah alone. So this word of tawheed, the shahada of La ilaha illallah, it has two important components. And both of them are required. One without the other is not sufficient. There has to be negation of any God besides Allah. La ilaha. And affirmation of the worship for Allah alone. Illallah. And then he said uh, also that this is also based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَمَن يَكْفُرْ بِالطَّاغُوتِ وَيُؤْمِن بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ اسْتَمْسَكَ بِالْأُرْوَةِ الْمُثْقَى That whoever denies or declares kufr in the taghut and believes in Allah, then that person has taken hold of the firm handle which will never break. Here, the negation, al-kufr bil-taghut, is followed by the affirmation of al-iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these two are the necessity. The eighth point he said is that al-taghut aam fi kulli ma ubida min dunillah. That al-taghut is general and it includes everything that is worshipped instead of Allah. Everything and anything that is worshipped instead of, instead, of, instead of Allah, with the exception if something or someone is worshipped, like the Prophet Isa he is worshipped by the Christians, but he is not pleased with being worshipped. He is not pleased with their worship of him, therefore he is not considered taghut. But taghut is those who are worshipped besides Allah and they are pleased that they are worshipped. But if someone is worshipped, such as the Prophet or an angel, but they are not pleased with it, then this is not considered a taghut. Number nine, the greatness. <coughs> of the issue of these three verses the verses from Surah Al-An'am chapter 6 verse 151 to 153 and these verses deal with a number of subjects and here 
in the Shaykh he says that they contain ten issues, ten issues. And those verses, you have to go back and read them in detail, but they contain ten issues. The first of them, and it is the most important of them, it is the prohibition of shirk. The prohibition of shirk. And then he says also the important and clear and decisive verses that are mentioned in Surah Al-Isra, chapter 17, verse 23. Uh, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Say, come, let me recite what your Lord has prohibited to you and that you shouldn't worship anything or you shouldn't associate anything along with me. Also, uh, in these verses from Surah Al-An'am and in these verses, the following verses from uh, Surah Al-Isra, these verses also begin with the same issue that your Lord has ordered you not to worship anything except Him and so on. And these verses contain also a number of issues. He said that the issues contained in these verses are 18. And the time will not allow to discuss them in detail. Uh, but if anyone reads those verses, you will see the things that are mentioned in them and the importance of those things. The most important of them, it is a Tawheed and Shirk. They begin from verse number 22 and end at verse number 39 in Surah Al-Isra chapter 17. The first of them he begins with لا تجعل مع الله إله آخر That you shouldn't set up anyone as a God along with Allah. And they end with وَلَا تَجْعَلْ مَعَ اللَّهِ إِلَهًا آخَرٍ And you shouldn't set up or make anyone as a god or something to be worshipped along with Allah. So they begin with this prohibition of shirk and they end with the prohibition of shirk and between them are 18 issues that are also of importance. Then he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called to our attention the importance of this matter in these issues by ending with the saying ذَلِكَ مِمَّا أَوْحَى إِلَيْكَ رَبُّكَ مِنَ الْحِكْمَةِ that these things are the things that your Lord has revealed to you from the hikmah. These issues are issues of importance. And the most important of them is a tawheed and shirk. Then he says, number 11, the verse from Surah An-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 36. That verse which is known as Ayat Al-Huquq Al-Ashara. The verse which has been named the verse of the ten rights. And it also, in it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with the saying, وَعَبُدُ اللَّهِ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْعًا That I order you to worship Allah and not to associate anything with Him. And also a number of issues, ten issues are mentioned in this verse. The most important of them is a tawheed and shirk. Then he said, number twelve, bringing to our attention, or calling to our attention the wasiyah, or the last advice and will of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, at the time of his death. That is the verses which Abdul ibn Mas'ud mentioned, which deal with primarily, first and foremost, the tawheed and shirk. Also in these verses and these hadith of the important points that we come to know is the right of Allah upon us. What is the right of Allah upon us? And every person needs to know what is Allah's right upon us in order to fulfill his rights. And likewise, what is the right of the servants upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as long as they fulfill his rights? What is our right? That our right is that we would not be punished in the hellfire. For the one who perfects the tawheed, he would never enter the fire at all. And the one who dies on Tawheed, but perhaps having committed major sins from which they didn't repent, then if Allah doesn't forgive them at the time of judgment, if they didn't repent and Allah doesn't forgive them, then they may, pun they may be punished in the hellfire in spite of their Tawheed, but they would never remain in the hellfire. They would come out of it. Unlike the Kafirs who died on Shirk, they would remain in the hellfire forever. So Tawheed protects a person completely from entering the fire if they have perfected the Tawheed and lived in obedience to Allah or repented from that which they fell into and it also protects the person from permanent uh, residence in the hellfire if a person at least died on Tawheed even if they died with major sins that they didn't repent from. Number 15 he says that this issue wasn't known to most of the Sahaba. The issue of what is the right of Allah upon us and what is our right upon him. It wasn't known to most of the Sahaba. And the proof of this is that Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu, which was, who was one of the, most, the greatest and most knowledgeable of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu he didn't know it. And when he came to know it, knowing that others didn't know it, he was, hast he was hastening to go and inform the others. It was something that wasn't known to most of Sahaba radiallahu anhu ajma'een. And it is by Allah's mercy that before he died, he informed the people, he told them this hadith of the Prophet sallallahu and they came to know it and we came also to know so. Number 16, the permissibility 
of concealing knowledge lil maslaha that it is permissible in some cases to conceal knowledge if there is a benefit for the general benefit of the people so that yani, they would not be harmed if they came to know something that would cause harm to them then it is permissible to conceal that knowledge as the Prophet ﷺ told Mu'adh ibn Jabal to hold back from telling them this because it would be more harmful to them if they came to know perhaps they would rely upon it and they wouldn't strive and struggle to worship Allah and obey Him so that the general rule concerning concealing knowledge kitman al-ilm it is prohibited to conceal knowledge except for some general benefit to the Muslims or in the case where that knowledge if it, if it became known to the people it would cause them some harm in that case for, for some benefit, general benefit to the people, for a maslaha, in that case, and in only that case, it's permissible to conceal knowledge. Number 17, istihbab bisharat al-Muslim bima yasurruhu. That it is mustahab, it is commendable or recommended that you give the good news to a Muslim of those things that are pleasing to him. Yani, when, when Mu'adh bin Jabal who came to know of this good news of the rights of Allah upon us and our rights upon him, then he wanted to give the good news to the people and we should do so whenever we came to know something good and from amongst the good news that we have that we should offer to the people it is al-Islam calling the non-Muslims to Islam it is the Bushra because Islam is the way of salvation therefore this should be given to the people and it shouldn't be held back uh, also number 18 he said the fear that the people might rely upon the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this hadith of Mu'az, the Prophet ﷺ feared that the people would depend upon it and therefore he didn't tell them. Number 19, the saying of the person who is questioned about something which they don't know, Allahu wa Rasuluhu alam, that whoever doesn't know something they should say, Allah and His Messenger knows best. Number 20, the permissibility of singling out some people to the exclusion of others in giving them knowledge. As the Prophet ﷺ gave this knowledge to Mu'az ibn Jabal and he didn't give it to others, that means it is permissible in some cases to give knowledge to certain people and not to others. And that is, as the Prophet ﷺ said in another place, that is because the people have to be given the knowledge according to their ability to grasp it and to understand it. Don't give the people that which is above their head. Uh, perhaps they might reject it and they might disbelieve in Allah because they can't understand something. But people should be taught in degrees, little by little, from stage to stage. And for this reason, the Prophet ﷺ he gave this knowledge to Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu knowing that he was capable to grasp it and to understand it and to carry it and he didn't give it to others besides him number 21 the humility of the Prophet sallallahu in riding on a donkey and also someone riding behind him yani though he was the ruler and he was the Prophet of Allah the Messenger of Allah the seal of the Prophets he wasn't proud but he was humble and he was humble enough to ride on a donkey and also to have someone riding behind him, yani along with him. Also, 22, the permissibility of someone riding behind another person on a riding animal. That is permissible, as long as it doesn't cause harm to that animal. Number 23, the virtue or the merit or the excellence of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, radiallahu anhu, who the Prophet ﷺ gave this knowledge to while he didn't give it to others. It was indeed an honor and a merit and a virtue uh, pointing or indicating the status of Mu'adh, radiallahu anhu. And number 24, the last point he mentions, the greatness of this issue. Yani the greatness of this issue that is Tawheed and Shirk. From these verses and Hadith, we can see the greatness of the issue of Tawheed and Shirk. And from this we can see, as an introduction to Kitab Tawheed, the importance of this topic. That every Muslim is in need of knowing this topic of Tawheed and Shirk and understanding it and implementing it in our lives. This is the end of the text of the book Kitab Tawheed. And perhaps briefly, in the time remaining, I will try to cover some of what has been mentioned in the Sharh of uh, Sheikh Muhammad, in this which has been translated here, um, the Sharh of Kitab al-Tawheed. It is one of the brief explanations of the Kitab al-Tawheed, and there are some points, perhaps, that we can go through quickly that may be of benefit. Uh, the pages that we are dealing with here are from page 9 until 16. Though, unfortunately, due to some printing error, the early pages of the book have not been numbered up until page 24. The pages before 24 are not numbered, but in any, in any case, the beginning of the book, the first uh, introduction to the book on Tawheed, um, it is 
should be page number 9, and from page 9 until page 17 is what we have just discussed. Here he will give some yeah, commentary concerning these matters. The first of them is the verse from Surah Al-Zariyat, chapter 51, verse 56, that I have not created the jinn and men, except that they should worship me. And he goes on to say in this verse, I seek not any provision from them, nor do I ask that they should feed me. Verily, Allah is the all-provider, owner of power most strong. And it is the meaning of this verse that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is informing us that he is the one who created the jinn and men and that the wisdom behind the creation was that they should worship him alone and to reject the worship of anything other than him and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not create the creation for any benefit for himself. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't ask provisions or sustenance from the creatures. Allah didn't create the creatures because he was in need of anything. But in fact, Allah created them for the purpose of worshipping Him and not for anything more than that. In fact, Allah, He is the provider. He is the one who provides for everyone. From this verse, He said that, He mentioned five points, the wisdom behind the creation of jinn and men, it is to worship Allah alone. And likewise, the confirmation of the existence of jinn. Yani in, this, in, this, in this verse is the confirmation. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ it is a confirmation in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of the existence of jinn. That world of creatures which is unseen, which is not seen to the human beings. They are creatures that exist, though they are not seen by the human beings. This is a fact and it is a reality. <coughs> also, Allah is independent. He is without need of His creatures. And also that the source of sustenance it is Allah alone. And likewise, the last point that He mentions in this verse is that Ar-Razzaq, and Al-Mateen, two of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are confirmed in these verses and this is related to the Tawheed of Asma wa Sifat that whatever names Allah has mentioned for himself in the Quran or which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa has mentioned authentic hadith then we should also affirm them we should not deny any of the names of Allah and as well the characteristics of Allah that mentioned in Quran and Sunnah <coughs> then he mentions the verse from Surah Al-Nahl chapter 16 verse 36 that we have sent to every nation or community or every people a messenger calling them to the worship of Allah alone and avoiding the Tagut and here in this verse he says that from amongst them are some and in this verse he mentions a point of importance that is not mentioned because the verse is not given in its completeness he says فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ هَذَا اللَّهِ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ حَقَّتْ عَلَيْهِ الضَّلَالَةِ that from amongst the people whom Allah sent prophets and messengers to calling them to worship Him alone there are from amongst them those who Allah guided and from amongst them those who went astray justly so due to their turning away from what Allah called them to and rejecting it there are amongst them those who were guided and amongst them those who went astray فَسِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ فَانْظُرُوا كَيْفَ كَانَ عَاقِبَةُ الْمُكَذِّبِينَ so travel to the earth and see what was the end of those who denied who denied the message that was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the nations by His prophets and messengers. From these verses, he mentions six points. The first of them is that the human beings have not been neglected. Allah didn't leave them without guidance, but He sent prophets and messengers to every nation. The people were not left to use their intellect to figure out what they should be doing in this world, but prophets and messengers were sent to inform them what is the purpose of their existence, what Allah wants them to do, and what He has prohibited them from. Likewise, in this we find the universality of the message, yani the, the call to Tawheed that has been sent to every nation. Uh, and here there's an error in the translation here, point number two for anyone who has the book. He says that, uh, that each new messenger abrogated that of the previous messenger. But in fact, actually, um, the point that the Shaykh mentioned in the book وَنَفْسَ الْفَتْرَةِ بَيْنَ الرُّسُولِ الَّتِي تُوجِبْ تَمْسْ مَعَالَمَ الدِّينِ بِالْكُلِّيَةِ The meaning here is that the message of Tawheed has been sent to every nation and that the period of time between the various messengers was similar in length such that it caused the signs or the signposts or the milestones of the deen to be erased in totality and for that reason because of the long period between one messenger and another Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent other messengers to teach the people that which had been lost, the message that had been sent to them through the previous messengers. The next point is that the, mis the, mis the mission of the messengers was to call the people to the worship of Allah and to reject all false gods. 
The next one is that the guidance of success is through Allah alone. That means that Hidayat al-Tawfiq, al-Hidayat or guidance is of two types as the scholars of the Sunnah said. Hidayat al-Tawfiq and Hidayat al-Dalala or al-Irshad. That means that there is a type of guidance, it is that someone points the way to someone, shows them the way. As the Prophet and the call is to Islam, show the people the way, the ulama, show the people the way. This is one type of hidayah. The other type of hidayah is hidayah to tawfiq. It is the hidayah or the guidance that is, belongs to Allah alone. That Allah is the only one who can guide someone and guarantee that they will reach the destination. Yani the prophets and the messengers and the followers of the prophets and the ulama can show the people the way. But they can't guarantee that those people will stay on the path and reach the destination. Hidayat al-Tawfiq, it means that the success in following that guidance and reaching the destination, it belongs to Allah alone. And this is mentioned in the verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Some of them, Hadallah, yani faminhum man hadallah. There are some whom Allah guided and others who went astray. So that the success in staying on the path and reaching the destination, Hidayat al-Tawfiq, it belongs to Allah alone. Also the fact that Allah has ordained the fact that Allah has ordained something for a person does not necessitate his liking it. That means that because Allah has ordained or decreed that a person go astray, it doesn't mean that Allah loves that people go astray. The fact that Allah has ordained that some people will be kafirs, it doesn't mean that Allah loves kufr. And this is understood if we understand that the will of Allah, the irada of Allah is of two types, al-irada al-kawniyah and al-irada al-diniyah or al-shari'iyah. Al-irad al-kawniyah, it means that when Allah wills something, it is also referred to as al-mashiyah. When Allah wills something, it has to be. Allah wills that some people will be kafirs. That is, those people who when they were called to the right way, they rejected it. It is only by Allah's will, because nothing happens except that Allah allows it. And He allowed those people by giving them the willpower. Universe, except that Allah allows it. But these things such as kufr or misguidance, or other things that disobedience to Allah, though it is under Allah's will that He allows it to happen for some wisdom, it doesn't mean that Allah loves it. The other type of will is al-irada, al-shari'iyah, or al-diniyah, and it is those things which Allah loves, that which Allah has legislated, and that which Allah ordered the people to do. That means that under this will is only that which Allah loves, that Allah loves the people to come to Islam, and He loves the people to worship Him, and so on. So if it is of those things which Allah willed for some wisdom, but He didn't, He doesn't love it, then this comes under the al-irada, al-kawniyah. And if it's under those things which Allah legislated and ordered the people to do, then this is part of the sharia or the message that the prophets were sent with. This is al-irada, al-shari'iyah or al-mahabba. So here he said, the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordained that some people will go astray, it doesn't mean that Allah loves for people to go astray. Allah loves for the people to follow the guidance. And that's why he sent prophets and messengers, calling the people to the right way, and encouraging them by offering them paradise if they obey the prophets and messengers, and threatening them with hellfire if they disobey. Also point number six, the desirability of traveling through the earth with the intention of taking heed of the example of the communities of all whom Allah has destroyed because of their disbelief. And in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the people, فَسِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ And he traveled to the earth and see what was the end of the mukazibin, those who denied. That means they're traveling through the earth with the intention of taking heed to the mistakes of the people of the past and seeing and what happened to the nation of the past in order to learn a lesson from it. This is something commendable. Then he mentions the verse from Surah Al-Isra, Chapter 17, verse 23 and 24, that Allah has decreed that we worship Him alone and be dutiful to our parents, and so on to the end of that verse. And here from this verse, He mentions a number of points also that are derived from it, from amongst them, is the obligation of worshipping Allah alone, the obligation upon every Muslim to be yani, kind to their parents and to be devoted to their parents, and also the responsibility of the Muslim community to uphold the rights of the parents over their children. This is mentioned in the saying of Allah here, where He orders us to worship Him alone, and to be kind and dutiful uh, to one's parents. Then he mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Nisa, chapter 4, verse 36, worship Allah alone and don't worship and be good to parents and your relatives and orphans and the poor and the neighbor who is near and the neighbor who is a stranger and the companion by your side, uh, the wayfarer and the slaves whom your right, who your right hand possess. Here in this verse, uh, the important thing in this verse that he mentions is al-ikhlas, that we should worship Allah alone and don't join anything in the worship of Him. Yani the opposite of a shirk, it is al-ikhlas. 
the worship of Allah and Allah alone and not worshiping anything along with him. Also the obligation of obedience to parents, uh, keeping family ties, taking care of the orphans and the poor and the needy, observing the rights of neighbors and one's companion, whether it's one's wife or traveling companion or otherwise, uh, helping those who are away from outside of their countries, stranded in other lands, and the obligation to be kind to slaves and avoiding the avoidance of pride and vanity. And finally, in the end, uh, in the end of this uh, this point, he mentions uh, a point also related to al asma wa sifat, the tawheed of asma wa sifat, and that is the end of this verse from Surah An-Nisa, verse 36: Inna Allaha la yuhibbu man kana muhtalan fakhura that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love the one who is proud and boastful the one who is proud in his appearance who walks and struts through the earth or the one who is boastful in his speech in the way that he talks to other people inna Allah la yuhibbu Allah doesn't love this and this is a confirmation of the characteristic of al-mahabba for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that one of the characteristics one of the qualities of Allah that are confirmed in the Quran in this verse and in other verses is al-mahabba that Allah loves Allah loves those who are obedient to him, those who are righteous, and so on. So this is one of the characteristics of Allah that he has confirmed. And our rule in the Tawheed of Asma wa Sifat is that we confirm and affirm whatever Allah has affirmed for himself or whatever the Messenger of Allah وسلم, has affirmed for him in the authentic hadith. Also he makes a note here that the rights of the neighbors are of three types. The neighbor, one of those neighbors has three rights and one of them has two and one has one. The neighbor who has one right is the neighbor who is not a relative nor a Muslim. They have the right of neighbors. They have rights as a neighbor even if they are kafir. The second of them is two rights. That is the neighbor who is your neighbor and also a Muslim. They have the rights over you as a neighbor and also rights over you as a Muslim. And the third of them is your neighbor who is a Muslim and who is also your relative. They have rights as a neighbor. They have rights as a Muslim and they have rights as a relative. So these are the categories that the scholars divided, the neighbors, and neighbors are mentioned in this verse. Then the final verse that he mentions, it is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-An'am, chapter 6, verse 151. Say, O Muhammad, come, I will recite what your Lord has prohibited for you, yani the prohibition of worshipping anything along with Allah, and being kind to your parents, and not to kill your children because of poverty, and to avoid al-fawahisha, sinful acts such as adultery and fornication, and not to kill anyone whom Allah has forbidden, except يعني, according to the right which Allah has legislated in the Sharia. From this verse of the Quran, he mentions a number of points. From amongst them is that a shirk is the greatest of all sins. It's the worst sin that a person can commit. The second of them is the obligation of being kind to parents. The third of them is the prohibition of killing one's children out of fear of poverty. As many of the people are doing today, uh, making abortions or other means of preventing the birth of children because they feel that if they have a lot of children there will be less money for them to spend and this was an aspect of the people in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, an aspect of the jahiliyyah, the days of ignorance and it is a manifestation even in modern times of ignorance when people kill their children for fear of poverty while Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is the provider and he is capable and able to provide for you as well as your children also the prohibition uh, of committing shameful acts or acts of adultery and fornication and that which leads up to it, the prohibition of killing any person without any outside of the law of Allah, outside of the Sharia, that is, outside of those things that have been allowed in the Sharia, such as the one who commits, the married person who commits adultery or the killing of someone, a life for a life, the one who committed murder or the person who after becoming a Muslim abandons Islam and separates from the Muslim community. Uh, and this is mentioned in a hadith in the Sunan of Abu Dawood. It is an authentic hadith. These are some of the things for which a person may be killed. Otherwise, it's not allowed for anyone to take the life of another person except in accordance with the Sharia. And the final thing he said here, uh, and that's the final thing he said. Uh, is it uh, 6.30? Anyway, there's one uh, section remaining, the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, when he was writing behind the Prophet ﷺ on the donkey and the Prophet ﷺ asked him, do you know what is the rights of Allah upon the slaves and what is the right of the people upon Allah? And he answered him, in this hadith there are a number of points of importance from amongst them 
is the permissibility or the legitimacy of riding behind another on a riding beast, the humility of the Prophet that the sweat of a donkey is not impure, and it's not najis, and also the merits of Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anhu in the special position that the Prophet has given him, uh, and what he informed him of, and also the asking of questions is a means of teaching. Yeah, and one of the ways of teaching people is to ask questions, and we find that many of the modern scholars today have taken heed to this system of teaching by question. Yani, even this book, Kitab al-Tawheed, one of the scholars, Sheikh Abdullah ibn Jarullah, wrote the Kitab al-Tawheed in the form of question and answers. Because when the person hears the question, if they don't know the answer, they will pay more attention now to know what is the answer, so that if the question came again, they will be able to answer. So this is one of the manners of teaching, one of the good ways of teaching that we learn from the Prophet ﷺ, and we should also use it. Also, the prohibition of talking about that which you have no, no knowledge of. And also, that the first obligation, the first right of, the, of Allah, the haq of Allah on us, is that we worship Him alone and not worship anything along with Him. Likewise, the person who dies believing and practicing tawheed, that they will be saved from the hellfire. As long as they didn't die committing major sins which they didn't repent from and which Allah may not have forgiven them. And we know that even if a person commits a major sin and they don't repent from it, it's possible on Yawm Qiyamah that they will be tahta Allah. That means that they may, according to Allah's will, Allah may forgive them if He wills or He may punish them if He wills. If He forgives them, that's out of His mercy. And if He punishes them, it is justice. So that whoever dies without repenting, perhaps Allah may punish them or Allah may forgive them. If Allah punished them, then those people would enter the fire for some time as Allah wills according to their sins, and then they would come out of the hellfire because no person who dies on Tawheed will remain in the hellfire permanently. And then he mentions the last point is the concealment of knowledge as mentioned in one of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the person who conceals knowledge would be bridled with a fire on Yawm Qiyamah. And this hadith is general with the hadith of Mu'adh where the Prophet ﷺ prohibited him from informing the people about this issue of the rights of Allah and the rights of the people. Uh, it is specific. And the general prohibition is to be applied in most cases where the permissibility of concealing knowledge for a benefit, for the benefit of the Muslims or for the benefit of a particular people, it is a special permission in certain cases. This is the end of this chapter. Actually, here in the book on page 17, it continues as though it is a continuation of this introduction, but actually the next chapter on page 17 on the bottom of the page, the virtue of Tawheed and what sins it removes is Bab Fadl Tawheed wa ma yukafir min al-dhunub It's actually the first chapter. It's the first chapter of the book, but he has joined it with the introduction and then after this chapter, the second or third chapter, um, he has made it as the first chapter. In any case, the, the numbering of the chapter is not important, but what's important is that this is a new chapter coming, Bab Fadl Tawheed the virtue or the merit or the excellence or superiority of Tawheed and what sins it removes. And this, inshallah, we will deal with uh, in the coming lecture. If there are any comments or questions uh, or any corrections from what we have said, then we can take those questions now until in the moments that are remaining. Can somebody give me a copy of the handout? Just for, for, can I just borrow it for a moment because I don't have a copy? Malish. Now, what's your question? To inform the people of? Now, now, now. He eventually narrated the hadith because of the other, the, the, the prohibition of concealing knowledge. And this was the practice not only of Mu'adh ibn Jabal but other companions of the Prophet Sometimes they were told some things that were secrets, and it wasn't to be given in general to the people, but before they died, they told someone, so as not to come under the heading of the general prohibition of concealing knowledge. So at that time, he told some of the people so that that knowledge would be passed on. In any case, uh, the, 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 the important matter concerning this issue is that concealing knowledge in general is prohibited. At that time, the Prophet ﷺ didn't see fit that he should have informed the people. But the fact that he told Mu'adh, is a proof that some people should have come to know. That there were people who should have come to know. So Mu'adh also in his turn told someone. And people came to know of it. 
And the Prophet ﷺ didn't make an absolute prohibition. He didn't make it as an absolute prohibition. But the consideration here is he said for fear that perhaps they may rely on it. And just like the Prophet ﷺ didn't fear that Muaz was going to rely upon it. Likewise, there are other people who there was no fear that they would rely upon it. So Muaz, in his ijtihad, before his death, he informed someone of it, and that's how the hadith came to us. Any other question or comment? Now. Not abrogated. Not abrogated. It's not so that the message of every messenger abrogated the previous. It's not so. The message of the Prophet Muhammad abrogated the previous laws that came before him. But it wasn't so that every messenger who came, he brought a message or he brought some law that abrogated those before him. In fact, some of the prophets who came didn't bring a new law. But they implemented the law of the prophets who came before them. So it's not so that what every messenger brought abrogated what came before him. This is a mistake from the translator. But the meaning here, the actual meaning of the statement of the, the explainer of the book, Sheikh Muhammad al-Qur'awi, what he said in that section is that the message, the risala, the tawheed, it was sent to every nation. This is mentioned in the verse that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, لَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ عُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا That we have sent to every messenger, to every nation, a messenger. This is the meaning of the first part of his statement, that every nation, a messenger came to them. The second part of his statement is his understanding of this verse that because the period of time from one messenger to another was long periods of time in general that it was sufficient time that the message would be lost and therefore there was a need to send another messenger not that the messenger who came after abrogated the previous message but that in that period of time between one messenger and another that which the previous messenger brought was lost like the time between the Prophet Isa and the time between the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu was approximately 600 years. And in that time the message was lost. Therefore a new Prophet came to bring it back to the people. In the time of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhu, he came among some people, a man who was a Christian, a Christian, and he was worshipping Allah alone. And when that man died, in the end of his life before he died, uh, Salman anhu, asked him, is there any other people worshipping Allah like you are doing? He said, there are no more people on the earth worshipping Allah like this. Except in the Arabian Peninsula, there is a man going to come, a prophet. A messenger is going to come and he will call the people to this message. Then Salman searched for him and he found him and he believed him in, and he became, you know, he became a follower of the Prophet This means that the message between the time of Isa and the time of the Prophet Muhammad was erased from the earth. There was nobody left except that one man. And he gave the message to Salman, and Salman searched and found the Prophet So in general, the time period between one messenger and another is a long period of time, and in that period the message is lost, and therefore there's a need for another messenger to come, and Allah knows best. In any case, please, I encourage you and urge you to look at these questions uh, and to answer them in writing, because the examination, for those who intend to take the examination, will be based upon these questions. The questions are given to you freely. So you have the exam before you take it. All you have to do is answer the questions now while it's in your mind. So that when the time for the exam comes, you will have all the answers already. The, answer, the questions will be from here. So you know what the exam is going to be before you get it. All you have to do is answer them now while the information is fresh with you. From all those questions, is mentioned a dalil. One proof from the Quran showing the importance of Tawheed. And in these verses, there are many. There are many. The first of them is the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that I have not created jinn and men except that they should worship me. And the very purpose of our creation and our existence is to worship Allah. Explain the words, I have not created jinn and men except to worship me. Yani, what is the meaning of the words to worship me? What is, what is the meaning of these words in this verse? That I have not created jinn and men except to worship me. Liya'buduni, it means what? Liwahidun. It means, to worship Allah means to, to single out Allah alone for all worship and not to associate anyone with Him. Give the comprehensive definition of Alibada. I didn't mention it because of time constraints, but in any case, the comprehensive definition of Alibada, don't say to worship, but actually the comprehensive definition of Alibada, it is a comprehensive word. Ism jami'un. لِكُلِّ مَا يُحِبُّهُ اللَّهُ وَيَرْضَى That is, it is an expression, this Alibada is an expression that includes everything that Allah loves and is pleased with. مِنَ الْأَقْوَالِ وَالْأَفْعَالِ whether speech or actions, al-zahira wal-batina, 
whether it is openly seen or that which is unseen. Yani the actions that the actions of the heart, such as fear and love and hope, or that which is seen, such as salat and, and hajj, or speech such as dua and recitation of Quran. Whether it is seen or unseen, whether it's speech or actions, everything that Allah loves and is pleased with, whether speech or actions, seen or unseen, this is the comprehensive definition of al-ibadah. As many of the scholars of the Sunnah said, al-ibadah is not limited just to the ritual acts of prayer and fasting and hajj, but it includes whatever we do, seeking to earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the condition that is done for Him alone and in accordance with the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu What is the hikmah, wisdom or purpose? for which every messenger was sent to worship Allah alone, to call the people to worship Allah alone. Yani the purpose for which the messenger was sent was to establish a tawheed and to eliminate shirk. Name the two types of al-hidayah with a brief explanation of each. And in two types of al-hidayah we said is hidayah al-tawfiq and hidayah al-irshad or dalala. Hidayah al-tawfiq is that which Allah alone possessed the guarantee that a person will be guided and stay on the path until they reach the destination, the Jannah. And Hidayat al-Dalala, it means the pointing the way or showing the way, al-Irshad, showing the people or guiding them. But this type of, 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 of Hidayah, it is for all people, anyone may do it. But it is not like the Hidayah of Allah, where Allah can guarantee that a person will follow that path and stick with it and die on it. What was the Prophet ﷺ question to Mu'adh on riding the camel together? What is the right of Allah upon us, upon the servants, and what is the right of the servants upon Allah? Mention the reply of Mu'adh and explain the significance of his reply. What was his reply, radiallahu anhu? Allah wa Rasulhu That Allah and His Messenger knows best. And the significance of this reply is that when a person doesn't know, they should say Allah knows best. Naam? At this time, for sure Allah and His Messenger knows best, for sure the Prophet ﷺ, he is not living, but the knowledge of the Prophet of Allah is confirmed. In any case, some of the scholars such as Imam al-Tahawi concerning this issue in al-Aqid al-Tahawiyyah, he said that when a person reaches some knowledge about which there is doubt, it is not clear to them, then they should say, Allahu A'lam. So if somebody says, as the Prophet ﷺ said, or in this case, in other cases, the Prophet Sallallahu he mentioned, he said himself that Allah knows best, then we may also follow in this way. Uh, mention the haqq or the right of Allah upon his servants and their right upon him. The right of Allah upon his servants is? Now, to worship him alone and not to associate anything with him. And the right of the servants upon Allah, that they will not be punished as long as they fulfill his right of worshipping him alone. Is kitman al-ilm, concealment of knowledge, permissible and explain? Is it permissible to conceal knowledge? Yani the general rule is that it's not permissible. But the reason why I ask for explanation because there's exception. If there's some general benefit to the Muslims or to those individuals, then in that case it's permissible. Mention one or two of the benefits derived from each ayah or hadith. Yani the verses that are mentioned here, or the hadith that is mentioned here, you should look at it and try to examine it and mention one or two of the benefits that you may understand from it. If you just look at those verses, you will easily be able to come up with two or three or four or five points. Everyone, inshallah, you can do it alone. Or you can take help from one another and help each other. There is no harm in it now. But on the day of exam, you won't be able to take help from anyone. Your help will just be from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Istain billah, but don't look at anybody else's paper. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك